Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we complete the final chapter of the earthly life of Stephen. If you are following along in your Bible, this narrative is found in Acts chapter 7, verses 44 through 60. Stephen wraps up his biblical defense and accusation of the Jewish rulers. The result was mob justice. Please listen to Pastor Harris as he delivers today's slice of this week's message entitled, Lord Jesus, Receive My Spirit. Verse 44, Stephen says, now remember, the accusation is he's been criticizing the temple and saying that Jesus is going to destroy it. Stephen says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he spoke, as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua upon dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of Christ. Gee, this guy also knows the whole book of Joshua and even beyond Joshua. It's marvelous how he summarized the story of the tabernacle just as he'd summarized the covenant with Abraham and the life of Moses, and he has alluded to the, to the Davidic covenant. And now he goes on, he's assuming that his accusers, since they are the priesthood of, of Israel at that time, he's assuming that they're familiar with Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. We call them six books, the Jews called them three books, major historical sections of the Old Testament. And here's the next installment in his summary, verse 47, David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Again, look how much can just tumble out of this guy's mind, summarizing all that God has been doing for these centuries. And now he's going to make a, a very significant point about the theological significance of the difference between the essence of God Himself and the earthly place dedicated to worshiping Him. So he says in verse 48, however, the Most High, that's um, a common Old Testament title for God whose personal name is Yahweh, However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. And now, Stephen pulls out from memory the words of Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Heaven is my throne, and, the er and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all of these things? Now he's making an important point there because the, the Jewish leaders accused Stephen of blaspheming the temple, but wow, what a case of the pot calling the kettle black. 
The words from Isaiah 66 are showing that God is infinitely greater than the temple. And when they thought of God as somehow um, being confined in, dwelling inside the temple, they were the ones misunderstanding the temple. They were misunderstanding who God is. Now, as I've pointed out, all through this rather spectacular chapter, Stephen never engages with the specifics of the false accusations against him. He doesn't dignify them as if there was any substance to them. He talks about God and His Word and His plan and His truth and His Son. Now, he's ready to point the truth squarely between the eyes of his murderous accusers. He says, you are guilty, not me. We've seen him draw several parallels between the way the leaders of Israel treated Jesus and how their ancestors had treated the prophets all the way back to to Moses. And now here comes the frontal blow, verse 51. You men, now I can't tell you for sure that he was pointing at them. But I can picture him in that room surrounded by these men and maybe turning around and even pointing to the ones that he knew. And you can bet he knew them. He brought sacrifices to the temple. These were the priests. He says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. They were guilty of rejecting God's Word. They were guilty, their ancestors were, of attacking His messengers. They had attacked God the Son. Stiff-necked is a metaphor for obstinacy. Uncircumcised in heart and ears is a metaphor to describe the the hard-heartedness and the spiritual resistance to God's messengers all through the ages of their history. The phrase always resisting the Holy Spirit describes refusing to humble yourself before the Word of God. Uh, That's how you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You just simply refuse to, to, to live according to what He says, and what He says is recorded in the Word. Then He gets more specific in 52 and 53. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. So he's talking about the prophets that predicted Jesus. Then he says, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, yet did not keep it. When you study the prophets of the Old Testament, you pretty quickly come to understand their lives were never comfortable. Most of them were openly persecuted by the people who should have welcomed them. There's the ones like Jeremiah, Ezekiel. God says, I have a great message to give you to give to my people. Oh, by the way, no one will ever heed what you say. In fact, all those prophets were, all those prophets were pointing to the righteous one, the Messiah, Jesus. Now, Stephen slips in here this part about you receive the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. It's an interesting thing. The Bible does mention that somehow the giving of the law involved angels. 
And the Jews had a kind of a special place for, for angels. They sort of corrupted the doctrine of angelology. You can read in the first part of Hebrews uh, how Jesus, uh, the, the author of Hebrews makes a big point that Jesus is superior to angels. But in case you don't know it, just understand the, the law did come through um, angels. Deuteronomy 33, 2, he, that's Moses said, Yahweh came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and He came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. That's God using angels. And at His right hand there was flashing light uh, for, uh, there was flashing lightning for them. Galatians 3.19, the Apostle Paul says, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels. And then Hebrews chapter 2, right after the superiority of Jesus to angels, Hebrews 2, 2 and 3 says, For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So Stephen slipped that in about the angels because they had a thing about that. And he's saying, it was all about Jesus, guys. The law was to point you to the Savior. The problem was not Stephen. It wasn't anything Stephen did. The problem was not the apostles. The problem was not the gospel. The problem was in the hearts of the self-righteous, hypocritical, false teachers who at that time controlled the priesthood and the Sanhedrin and the activities of the temple. So Stephen's point was simple. You are guilty, not me. Look again, verse 53, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. It was no accident that Stephen included the words about the Jewish leader's treatment of Jesus. He said, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. And they were about to murder him, another spokesman of God. So number three, here comes the end for Stephen earthly speaking. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, is our third point. Verse 54, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at Him. We saw that phrase, cut to the quick. If you remember it, back in chapter 5, verse 33, that same murderous group wanted to kill the apostles uh, because they were declaring that they were witnesses of the resurrected Christ and they wouldn't stop calling people to repentance. They were cut to the quick and they were furious. Remember, it was only the council of Gamaliel talked them out of killing the apostles that day. Well, by contrast, back in chapter 2, verse 37, after Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, it says that the people who listened to him were pierced to the heart. And they said... Brethren, what shall we do? And 3,000 of them heeded, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And they believed and they were saved that day. So there's this, this bifurcated response to the preaching about Jesus. Cut to the quick and pierce to the heart. Pierce to the heart describes the inner spiritual response of the conviction of sin. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Cut to the quick means really angry, hurt, wounded, offended. And it leads to bursting out in anger and the justification of yourself. 
His enemies were so carried away, it says they were gnashing their teeth at him in anger and frustration. Somehow I picture them growling at him. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.